1: Welcome to this week's episode of Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm David Mooney. I'm joined by Sam Lee. Hi, Sam. Happy New Year to you.
0: Hello. Happy New Year.
1: I I always forget, you know, I, I, I always kind of wonder how long into the new year you can say that. I mean,
0: yeah people always say this but then it becomes obvious people aren't saying this in the middle of February are they
1: no they're not <laughs> and it is, it is still like the 4th of January and I don't think we've spoken to each other since New Year properly so there we go yeah exactly this, this,
0: is, this is absolutely fine by the book Happy New Year's absolutely fine but I suppose the cut off is probably going to be what the 10th
1: 10th maybe once it gets into double figures for January do you reckon
0: yeah definitely Yeah, but like I say everyone's, everyone says oh I don't know when it is but everyone does seem to know because you don't have people going around in in March in <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's fine. We have got to the bottom of it.
1: Yeah, there we go. Solved. Another
0: problem solved on the podcast.
1: Yeah, you can't can't ask for more than that, can you? Well, we've um, cracked city, and now we've cracked years. Yeah. What else? What else have we got left to crack, really? That's the question. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to get yourself an Athletic subscription for the new year, then you can get 30% off now by using the code MANCITYPOD. That works out at just over £3 a month for access to loads of great football writing about Manchester City and beyond. And you'll get ad-free versions of the podcast as well. Uh, Sam, what what have you been working on right now?
0: Uh, so Monday, as we speak, recording a little bit later, because I've spent the whole day writing about the League Cup semi-finals in 2010, but between City and United, obviously um yeah so yeah there was that i was speaking to friend of the show friend of everyone Ned <laughs> for that Um, you know the united guys spoke to some of the united players so it was just a kind of it was an interesting season that because i can't look at it and say this was the turning point in the the rivalry you know because the main year was obviously 2011. yeah the league comes semi final, like. So basically, and what I said to Nedham is you can't over-romanticise the season either because ultimately there was four games and United got three like really heartbreaking wins from a City point of view. And even the, the one good win that, that City got didn't actually matter in the end because of the nature of the second leg. But they were the kind of right City have arrived here kind of derbies. And even though United did get the edge, that was kind of tanks on the lawn season and obviously the season after it was yeah semi semi semi-final at Wembley in the FA Cup win the FA Cup bring the banner down obviously the next season but still 2011 was the 6-1 and then things really started to change but that season before yeah City didn't quite get the results at the time but it was definitely a kind of it was starting to realize that City weren't going to go away then
1: yeah um, well if you want to if you want to read that, then go to the athletic.com forward slash man City pod to sign up. That's the athletic.com forward slash man City pod. Uh, now, Sam. Before we get into the into the show properly, uh, I, th- I want to touch on Benjamin Mendy before we start. Uh, obviously, he wasn't involved in the uh, in the game coming off the bench at Stamford Bridge, but he was in the squad. Um, as per the reports, Mendy breached COVID protocol on New Year's Eve. He's admitted that he held uh, a dinner party with guests. I think it was uh, friends of his uh, of his partner, wasn't it, um, from outside of his household under Tier Four restrictions, where he and you know you and me live at the moment. Um, that's not allowed, and so City are now conducting an internal investigation. Over everything that's uh, that that's happened, um, I just want to I, I want to give some thoughts on that. If that's if that's all right to start with, just just because okay. um, this this for me this is no longer about whether he's good enough or can stay fit enough to play left back for City anymore. Now I, th- I I feel this is a lot more about him and, and and what he wants out of the remainder of his City career, because it, it, it's almost like this is another step in or another misdemeanour that it's just kind of now adding up and adding up. And I feel like he should be using the next few weeks, certainly to consider his future and consider what he wants to get from from his time at City. Does he want to be the the kind of class clown that everybody loves to laugh at or laugh with, that sort of thing? Does he want to knuckle down and do some hard work and and get back in the team and and help the team on the pitch? And I ask that because players have, have at City, under various different managerial regimes, they've come back from worse than this. So this isn't writing him off. This isn't the point where it's, oh God, he's he's gone far too far. This is it. But right now, I don't think that he should be right near the the squad. I mean, first off, he's broken COVID rules, what, a couple of days after uh, the Boxing Day game was postponed because COVID had got into the camp. And then second off, I actually think he should be isolating right now, whether or not he's tested positive or negative. He tested negative before the Chelsea game, but I still think he should be isolating knowing that he's broken the rules. Because... Well, I, I know for, from my point of view, I'm not the only one who found this last Christmas quite tough. There are, there are plenty of people who were listening to this and, you know, plenty of City fans who couldn't see family and friends in the way that they normally would. Plenty of us had rows and arguments with, you know, partners and family and all that sort of thing about what they were going to do this Christmas. Even with the restrictions lifted for, for Christmas Day, plenty of us still had those discussions about whether or not we were going to see family. Um and everybody else has been making sacrifices, and it feels like Benjamin Mendy has just decided that that this is okay for him. That that he's he's okay breaking the rules because probably other people will do it as well. That's what Guardiola said as well. You know, other people will have broken the rules, which is all well and good. But again, it comes back round to the fact that City have had the the game with with Everton postponed because of COVID in the camp, and um, it, it, it just it just feels like it's it's a little bit above consequence outside the law, if that makes sense. Um, and I don't even know right now if I'm if I'm angry with him. I'm just kind of you know when you when you've been misbehaving as a child and you you used to try and explain yourself and your parents would just say no, just I, I don't want to don't want to see you. I don't want to speak to you right now. That's kind of how I'm feeling with him. Um, is any, is any of that unfair?
0: Um, I know it's not really unfair, um, Mendy. Like the the thing is, like the, like you said it's almost like he's got to decide whether he wants to carry on being the class clown that everyone loves or like knuckle down on his football. But I think look, I don't know him. And if like, I'm sure I always think when I talk about people in in terms of character that are footballers, they could, they could probably listen, even though they never would, they could probably listen and be like, you don't know me. What, what are you talking about? But I just think with people like Mendy, look, for us, I'd say we're kind of sensible guys might even say, boring guys you know but just sensible guys who can like kind of make distinctions and this is you know oh well you know if if I were a footballer I would you know I would simply concentrate on being as good yeah. as I could be and all this kind of thing but I think like people like him and p- people mentioned Balotelli as well on, on Sunday it's it's not so simple it's just how they are my tweet about it I said he must be a nightmare to manage because it's like he's worked really hard to come back from injuries and like there is that kind of sporting commitment there and if he wasn't committed, he wouldn't have come back from the injuries at all, really. Um, even though, obviously, there's a lot of supervision needed and maybe he didn't always take it so seriously when he had like the foot injury around Anthony Joshua fighting and all that kind of stuff that got him in trouble with Guardiola. But it's, it's these little things, like just when you think you've cracked it, it'll just do something mad and I don't think there's ever going to come a time where they can just make a decision to say, I'm gonna stop doing this now. It just this is what certain people are like, I think. And I'm not excusing him. You know, I'm not doing the the Guardiola thing of, oh yeah, what he did was bad. But I'm just saying that overall, all the different things he's done and how he acts It's um, a full
1: package, isn't it? You don't, you don't yeah, get one exactly. without the other.
0: It's not yeah, and like you always get this kind of thing where like with football in general, it's oh if if so and so can can start doing this then you know, they'll become messy and run It's not, no, these, these are things that not everybody can do. And that's, that might be technique or whatever, but with this thing, again, I don't, I don't know the guy inside out, but I think from knowing about some of the off field stuff, it's just, this is, this is just what he's like. And like somebody asked me on Sunday, do you think this is the final straw? I was like, well, you think so. But, the stuff he's done before, you would have thought, would have been the final straw. And even then, there have been times where you know City were willing to sell him, but realised they couldn't because of injuries and whatever. So it's like he kind of already has had has already had his final straw moments. But it's it hasn't actually planned out that way because you know in football you need other things for transfers to happen. So it's just this weird situation where Mendy's just going to keep being Mendy, and he will keep being Mendy as a Manchester City player until they can get rid of him. I mean. Do we have I suppose we have to mention Guardiola's handling of it again. I was trying to, I went to bed last night and I was thinking about this. um, Because, in my view, his handling of three kind of behavioral issues off the pitch, which kind of cover different things, which is obviously the Bernardo Silva Mendy thing, which every time I say this, I don't want to go into it again, but we have to kind of mention it a bit. The Aguero Sean Massey thing. Which again, we talked about at the time. And again, it's something I don't really want to go into at great length because of just, you, you can end up getting in arguments with these things and neither side is going to change their opinion. Um, and now there's the Mendy thing. And I, in my opinion, Guardiola's um, handled them all terribly from a kind of, I suppose, point of view and from a you know the reaction of people outside the club. But what I went to bed last night wondering was is it just the most important thing for him to protect the players and not invite more criticism of mendy or aguero or bernardo silva by condemning them in public and maybe it is but at the same time i don't think he got the men the bernardo thing i don't i don't i don't think he got the um the aguero thing either i just don't think he like, culturally understood it and you know maybe you know spanish people could say i don't culturally understand it either which is fine you know that's that's a difference of opinion but i thought the covid thing was that was a strange response yeah. because his conference, which I think I agreed with and a lot of City fans agreed with on Friday, was saying, look, we had enough players to play Everton, could have played the game. It wasn't about that. It was about being careful. You know, we had infections. It was about health. There's people, you know, he kept saying, yeah, there's people dying in this country. And yeah. as the more he was talking about it, because in the bit between embargoes, Guardiola was like, He's like, he was like, they keep asking me questions as if I'm a doctor or a scientist. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just a football manager. And the more we talked about it, the more I thought, this—we are asking questions of a man here about a virus, and it literally—and very unfortunately, tragically—killed his mom. This, like, last last year, and we we're asking him about the effects.
1: You know, on, yeah, the, on, you know, the, on the, on the, the lesser
0: effects on a sport and you know and even his players obviously like the newcastle situation it's worse for some of the newcastle players they're you know they're very fatigued by it and it's affected them but it's a much less you know it, it's a much less of a, a profound impact than he's realized and i felt really bad for him having to answer those questions and like i say he kept reminding he goes a lot of people are dying we had to take those precautions and i was like this is exactly the case like the whole controversy around the Everton game which we may as well touch upon because we haven't done a pod since then yeah, um, it's, it was just mad it's like nobody minded when Newcastle's game against Villa was called off I genuinely didn't know for about four or five days the news passed me by and it wouldn't have passed me by if everybody was moaning about it saying Newcastle were trying to dodge a fixture and then the Fulham game was called off and nobody was bothered again fine they've got loads of cases City had loads of cases I can't remember if it was seven or eight now they've had a few at different stages over different over different stages of testing And it just made sense to call it off. So when Guardiola was talking about that, I was like, "Yes, but on." And then he defends Mendy by saying, "Oh, yeah, well, he he was done wrong, but I'm sure everybody was at it." And it's like,
1: but that's but but that's also for me why Mendy should not have been in the squad.
0: What just as a kind of
1: just as a as a, as a kind of, he's, of one yeah one. he's 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 broken protocol okay he tested negative but we we uh, he's had one test since uh, he broke protocol I think he should be away from the squad until he's tested negative again you know just just put a little bit of of distance between the the breaking of the protocol and the rest of the squad having just had the week that they've had
0: yeah yeah and and again I suppose it kind of undermines the whole idea of well we you know we're better safe than sorry kind of thing because. I suppose you could say, if you were playing devil's advocate, all of those players had negative tests on last Sunday. So, I don't believe this, but you could say, well, they could have played against Everton then because they tested negative. But obviously that wasn't the case. That was, well, they might have tested negative, but they they might have had it since. We're not really sure. I mean, it's, I don't know, maybe the, the case with Mendy as well because what was New Year's Eve? Thursday going into Friday. Yeah. And then he would have been tested on Saturday,
1: probably, uh, probably Saturday results. So yeah, whatever, I just, yeah. I
0: just think if you are being that safe and cautious as I think City were and rightfully, then yeah, you're probably right. Um, you're
1: probably right. Well, let's talk about the game itself uh, <laughs> no, because it's uh, it? we've, we've, we've kind of covered a lot of ground there without actually talking this is, yeah, about
0: Just for the whole yeah. negative podcast vibe.
1: Um, uh, do you remember what I was saying earlier in the year about City not being entertaining but basing a title charge on having a good defence? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. the goal at the end okay annoying we both said that on Twitter yeah, yeah. Um, a few people pointed out we both said it at pretty much the same time as well yeah. um, you, you feel in a weird way you've got confidence that City are going to defend well these days and all of a sudden you look where they are in the table and you look the position they're in Liverpool have had a, a, you know mini wobbles at stages this season we've talked about Chelsea's challenges and you know now look at them they're below City and think City have got one or two games in hand on them uh, United have been I mean, admittedly a shambles, but they've had a good run in uh, that's put them in contention for, for, for the title again. There's there's actual genuine talk of a United title challenge. Uh, Leicester have been in it, out of it, in it again. Everton flying high, now less so. It, it kind of feels like City and all of this are actually getting a bit of consistency in there.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I do kind of think that was how we ended 2020, podcast-wise. Um, obviously, we were kind of building towards that Everton game um, after Southampton as, well, well, we'll see now. Well, you know, that that's a potentially difficult game. And then obviously Chelsea. And then, yeah, I do I do think, you know, as we talked about the United game, because I do think United was a bit of a landmark. And we mentioned the West Brom game. We didn't do a podcast directly after West Brom, but we did after Southampton. Yeah. And I said, look, it was a performance. I'm not going to disagree with that. I was like, it was one thing to to kind of play purposely stodgy football against United and try and not concede goals, you can maybe understand that. You can make an argument for that. The West Brom game was just a poor game, but I said at least there was the intention to to attack and to try new things. I was like, it wasn't a double pivot. Gundogan was getting forward a lot. When it was a double pivot, it was because both of the fullbacks were getting forward, both of them, which is quite rare for City. There was a front four as well with De Bruyne going and joining it. Guardiola, in my view, after that Man United game, has been trying new ways to stay solid but actually create chances as well. Because I think, I guess you probably saw in the West Brom and and United games, and he obviously would have known because it's been an issue with throughout the calendar year of 2020, City are not clinical in front of goal. And they're still not, and they weren't on Sunday. And the issue with that is they created a couple of good chances against United, a couple of good chances against West Brom generally late on, and City weren't clinical enough to take them. So Guardiola was probably like, right, well, what I need to do is fix the defence, need to keep that solid – but we need to create a lot of chances because we can't just create two or three and and hope we score one. We probably need to create five or six. Yeah, and I think yeah after that United game, he tried that against West Brom, um, the Southampton game. I can't I can't actually remember the ins and outs of that Southampton game, but at least it was about three weeks ago. But it was it was a it was a good win, wasn't it? In the sense that they kept a clean sheet. We said they had to win to stay in the title race and it kind of gives them the opportunity to build a bit. And then the Newcastle game, which Guardiola said was the best performance of the season up until Chelsea, and I probably agreed with him. It wasn't City again scoring five or six goals and being clinical. They were still very wasteful. You know, They were still kind of infuriating in that kind of way that Sterling is inside the box. He kind of sums it all up. But again, you could see Guardiola was trying things and you know before where it's been the double pivot sitting in front of the defense, which has kind of slowed City down and it's made the balance of the midfield very different. You know, it, again, it wasn't that there was still there was still cover from the midfield there. You know, Nathan Ake was left back; he would kind of wasn't always right in the middle, but he was he was there. He was staying back. Cancelo was getting forward into that number eight position alongside Gundogan, who was pushed up, and alongside De Bruyne, who was pushed up. So suddenly they had three options there in the middle that could kind of feed the wingers feed the forwards. The wingers were changing sides a lot. And again, it just looked to me that I was like, okay, since the derby, Guardiola is trying different things to be more creative and just not Playing you know, a actually boring football because a lot of the season had been quite boring, hadn't it? Yeah, you know, Sheffield it's- United 1 0 win, the West Ham won one draw. No, it wasn't good. And Guard- I think Guardiola, after sorting out the defence, we said he needs to take steps after the derby to make it more attacking. And he has. And I'll let you carry on in a second. But that was why I built up into the Chelsea game as thinking, well, let's see now because they have only beaten Southampton and Newcastle. But I do think the intention and the, the kind of The desire is there to play more attacking football. Let's see how it works against Chelsea.
1: Yeah, he's. But I was going to say he's been tinkering with 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 positions a little bit, and like you mentioned, the double pivot not quite being a double pivot anymore. And you know, De Bruyne was was uh, like this deep lying striker when we we're probably expecting Sterling to be playing through the middle when uh, when the team was announced. Uh, Foden again with uh, with another good performance. I mean, it's 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 all good signs, isn't it? At the moment, with with certainly the the movement off the ball as well as uh, as, as as well as anything else at the moment. I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, was it? I think. Well, was it? I know it was. It was Jack Gorn who wrote in the Mail at some point. I can't remember. You know, if it was after the Derby, I think it probably was because Guardiola spoke in the press conference about how they'd had a, a chat. I think after the Derby about being more uh, incisive. I think attacking wise, just basically attacking better. And Jack had said, um, you know, there was a focus on off the ball runs, and I think, I think you can see that. You know, the Newcastle one. I think it was Cancelo who had dropped deep while the front three ran towards goal to kind of drag the Newcastle defenders away from them. And all of a sudden he was in space and he was able to slip in Sterling down the right-hand side. There was a little move for Foden's goal yesterday where De Bruyne made a quick run towards goal, but then dropped off. So Zuma had already started moving back towards his own goal, wasn't expecting it. So that allowed De Bruyne to get a bit of space in front of the defence. He tried to play in Foden, who'd run inside, that classic, you know, wingers run once the false nine drops off. You go from out to in. The ball got obviously cut off, but... um, yeah, City just got it back and worked it down the side anyway. Those little off the ball movements, like I say, with can Cantana's been a huge part of it. gundogan has been a huge part of it. I mean, obviously people are taking notice of Gundogan because he scored three goals in four games, and, and why wouldn't you? But even against Southampton when he didn't score, he was just he was using the ball so well. Against West Brom, he gave away a couple of you know key opportunities to create chances. He was he was using the ball so well, you know, just the way he can use one touch just to open the game up. He's been doing that so well. And Combined that with yeah, with the movements off the ball, that's why I do think it's looking good for City. And like, so I wrote my article kind of based on well, this has been basically everything I just said. You know, after the yeah. derby, they kind of realised they couldn't go on like that. They can't. You know, you said you know could yeah. they win the title? Maybe with a solid defence. I was like, well, yeah, obviously they can, but it can't just be that.
1: Yeah, you're it not going to pull your weight to the tight it. A- yeah, exactly.
0: It can't be the United game. It can't be the West Brom game all the time. There need to be more attacking. And I was like, well, we've seen that. And a couple of people have replied saying, bloody hell, it's only one game. And I, I, I genuinely don't feel like I'm getting carried away after one match. I feel like this has been weeks in the making. Yeah. Um, you can, kind of, you can kind of
1: see the build-up to, to how it got to the, the performance at Chelsea, can't you? And it's now a case of of maintaining that in the, in the, in the coming weeks. And you look at, yeah. again, you look at the fixture list and it's like, certainly the Premier League fixtures, there is prime prime targets there for, for games where they can do that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, oh look, obviously it's United in the Carabao um, and it's United away and that has been a difficult game. And look, if, if there's ever a, an opportunity to to see how City have improved since drawing 0 nil and looking quite boring against United at Old Trafford. It's a game against United at Old Trafford. A bellwether, if you will. Yeah, a very, very <laughs> good <laughs> bellwether. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, we'll see. And then, yeah, those fixes in the league, Um, obviously everyone's now looking at them saying, right, well, the title challenge is on. And it, and it is on because of the position in the table. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for my point of view, I might look stupid if they, if they lose to United and don't play well. And... If you know they keep coming unstuck against you know Sheffield United, if they have a stubborn defensive performance of Palace, you know those kind of games coming up in the in the next, well, it's still in, it's still in January, isn't it? Yeah. City have very winnable games, but if they if they drop like they did against West Brom, then I will look stupid and I, I will have been wrong to think that this game was kind of weeks in the making. Um, but yeah, I do think you know Guardiola's found some answers now, um, and yeah, we we'll just have to we'll have to see if he has. And if that's sustainable, and if if I'm right, I guess.
1: Yeah, uh, we touched on De Bruyne uh, being the central player. Um, what's the progress on his new contracts? Because that's been that's been hanging on for a while, isn't it?
0: Yeah, um, yeah, well, hanging on for a while, but you know, everyone was kind of of the opinion that it's going to happen, like foregone conclusion kind of thing. And and it, I think it will happen. Um, I think he will sign it. Um, but I was speaking to Christoph, who did the 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 story. Um. And, yeah, it's very very well sourced, shall we say. Um, De Bruyne is not – I think he's just a bit annoyed. I I would basically say, big picture, it's negotiating. So, by the sounds of it, City have offered a contract, like a five-year deal, I think, which is worth less net than what he's on at the moment. So, you could maybe say that's negotiating on their side, you know, a low first offer. And maybe this is negotiating on De Bruyne's part that you know he's not happy and he's saying, "Well, I'm not accepting this. Up your offer." And I presume they will up their offer and he will accept it. But I suppose the significance is that De Bruyne seemingly is is quite annoyed by that first offer. You know, it's one thing to to kind of set your stall out early and start the negotiations, but it's another to annoy your best player. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's annoyed De Bruyne is the talk from City that um, they would be able to afford Messi. And he's thinking, well, you said he could afford Messi, who's on a mental wage. Like, why are you making me a worse offer than I want at the moment? Um, so, Um, And obviously, like, we've kind of touched on what De Bruyne is like. He is that kind of character that um would, would be annoyed by that and would maybe make that annoyance known. You know, you, you've seen what he's like on the pitch when things don't go his way. He's, <laughs> he's a bit, yeah. He's a, and, like, everyone in Belgium knows that, like... I was speaking to a Belgian journalist recently about what he's like, and they kind of laughed. He was like, "Yeah, he's been like that since he was like nine or whatever." Um, So yeah, I I I don't like. It's it's definitely an interesting story. It's definitely something that I don't think City fans should ignore. But will it change the outcome of the contract talks? I don't think so. You know, it's interesting that City have managed to annoy their best player with a contract offer that's worth less than he's on at the moment, because. Of potentially trying to sign Messi or whatever, however Messi's is involved with it, um, but I, I think that ultimately he will still sign the contract. That's probably the best way to put
1: it. Yeah, you can uh, y- you know you can change the manager, you can change the players, you can change the owner, but you can't change the club. That's what I find. That's that sounds like a story from City in the 1990s. So uh, that's uh, that, that just it just takes me back to my childhood supporting City. What deaf thing are they doing this week? Oh, they're annoying the best player. There we go. Um, <laughs> Let's let's touch on. There's, there's two players I want to talk about really from from the Chelsea game uh, that we haven't really spoken that much about. Certainly recently. Um, I'm going to start with Gunduan because um, kind of out of it feels like out of nowhere that he's been very good lately. Um, but I, I guess like you were hinting at before, is he's, he's kind of built to these these levels of performances as well, alongside the team building to these uh, to these levels. Um, what's he doing differently right now?
0: Um, I suppose, I think, well, I hope to write about him a bit more in depth. And my kind of starting point for that is I do think a lot of it is to do with his role. So I've always kind of explained whether I was talking about the double or city's problems with the counter attack or, you know, no David Silva, no Fernandinho, how things have changed. Basically the long and the short of it has always been that Gundogan was basically being asked to do two roles. You know, one was help out Rodri further back in the defence. And when we wrote, when I wrote that piece after the West Brom game about why things look different, kind of highlighted how he holds a a different average position basically to Silver. He's a bit deeper than David Silver ever was, which, you know, is no surprise. But it just goes to show why things are a bit different. He's had to be a bit further back. But still, at times, he's had to kind of get further forward as well. And I think a lot of the time, he's been neither one thing nor the other um sometimes he's played as a as a part of that double you know full time and he has been next to rodri which i know a lot of fans don't like and you know there's probably good reason for that it has contributed to the bigger picture of city using the ball slowly and not having many ideas i I don't know i just think now he's kind of has to play to his strengths a bit more and i think his strengths would either be playing that role by itself or playing further forward like david silver I'm not sure what his best role actually is. I, I I think he thought, and I would probably think, that it was the number six role. But seeing him back as a number eight, and again, we talked about the ways Guardiola wanted to to make his team more solid. And I said how against Newcastle, you know, Ake came in and um, Gundogan was allowed to go further forward. Against Chelsea, he was that kind of David Silva-esque number eight, and Bernardo Silva was the number eight position that he did so well in the 2018-19 season yeah. with obviously De Bruyne ahead of them. So I just think, I'm not sure it's it's what he's doing differently. I just think it's how he's being used. Um, he's he's getting forward into more dangerous areas. I mean, maybe, you know, confidence is, is part of that and he's been able to play more or feels he can play more first time passes that unlock teams. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if it's, if it's something that he's doing differently or just how he's being used and then how that's affected his confidence. But then, you know, Guardiola always used to say, I don't think he said it so much for a while, but he always used to say the thing he likes about him is how he can arrive to the box. and He's got that s- sense of goals, which had kind of gone away for a while. Um, but he's been, you know, arriving to the box at the right time, as we've seen with basically all of his goals. They've, well, the the, the West Brom goal and the Newcastle goal were very similar. You know, yeah. obviously. Ar- arriving
1: late, cut back, yeah. pop it and, in. and then <laughs> Yeah,
0: and then he was in the position, I don't know, I presume, there was an element of sometimes you switch with De Bruyne in the number nine or maybe it was more situational. I'm not sure. I'll probably have to look at it again. But for, yeah, obviously for his goal against Chelsea, that was from the edge of the box in that kind of position that you would think De Bruyne was the number nine would be in. So he, he was he was popping popping up there as well. I just think he's not been hamstrung by being asked to do too much, by being asked to defend and attack and from a deeper position and uh, it's not, not quite working. I, I just think, yeah, he's... He's been given one kind of clear objective. Somebody else is helping out with the with the defending a bit more, and I think it just suits him.
1: Yeah, come to think of it, actually, if Foden's cut back uh, in the in the first half against Chelsea, I think it was at three nil. If that wasn't slightly behind him and he hadn't tried to do a trick, it might well have been four four nil at that yeah, point, yeah, and yeah, it, no, might, no. it might have been another one of those arriving late into the box, popping in goals. Um, with Gundogan's position changing, I mean, does that does that affect Rodri's game? And I, I only ask this because uh, there was certainly at nil nil. There were a couple of moments where uh, Rodri lost possession in his own half, and it set Chelsea away on on the counter attack. I mean, one of them, yeah. Zach Stefan was at fault for picking it up, and I, like, I, I'm still not quite sure how that free kick was taken from outside the box, but it was, and there we are. Um, but it, it it just feels like like there's there's a lot more pressure there on Rodri's shoulders at that point if Gundaran's not next to him maybe.
0: Um, yeah, it was it's a difficult performance because I thought it was bad early on, and then he certainly got a lot of rave reviews afterwards. You know, a lot of people were happy with him afterwards, and he, he got better. He, he definitely he got better. Improve, and he certainly did improve. Yeah, but um, yeah, early on it wasn't. It wasn't a vintage performance. It was one of those performances where, you know, the people who who think he's, you know, a lost cause would probably use uh, as proof. Um, I don't know. I I, I think obviously there is still that balance there. Guardiola still found that balance between keeping the team solid and helping out Rodri, um, but while still pushing men on. And, you know, whether that comes from City, City simply taking their chances, you know, after... 22 minutes they scored two in 2 minutes and that was it against Chelsea um or you know obviously like I say with ake against against Newcastle um I thought Zinchenko played well um, I thought he you know ev- every one of the back four whenever a ball came into the box or there was a second ball in the box cleared it well obviously it wasn't great for the last goal but I I, I don't think that was the end of the world and yeah I, there would have been an, an element of protection there I'm I'm I've not quite worked out a Rodri role without Gundogan next to him. I, I need to have a look at it again, really. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm still not, I'm still not really convinced myself on, on Rodri as a player as we've kind of discussed in the past. I kind of think that he's a very good player but not necessarily in this team, which is yeah. neither his fault nor City's. My, I, th- I think personally it's just a bad match with the way that they have been playing. Um, again, now, you know, if if for argument's sake they dropped him as a player now into their team in 2018, He might have looked much better, and now if City do go on to much better things, and Guardiola has cracked this code of keeping them solid and creative, he might start to look better as well. Um, But it was a difficult one to judge yesterday because he was kind of so bad at the start, and then, and then much better by the end.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, you know more for Chelsea for not being able to beat a team where the goalkeeper doesn't know the laws of the game. That's uh, yeah, and then it didn't matter for the rest of the game, did it? (laughs)
0: Because I saw people on Twitter saying like, "Oh God, this guy's all over the place. You'll be shooting from." From all angles, but no,
1: I, I guarantee, yeah. I, I promise you, I know what's happened there. Um, he he's been pushing out forward. Uh, Rodri's knocked the ball back, and he he's taken a chance because he genuinely didn't know who played that ball through, and. He's just picked it up. It's not. It's nothing. It, there's nothing else in it. It's it, it's just that. And if you if you oh, pick yeah, it up maybe. with confidence and play on with it, then the referee might not notice. Yeah, possibly, possibly. That's my know. thinking. Um, just on Gundogan, still, um, it, it's interesting how we took talk, you talked about fans there and uh, and, and Rodri and, and and the fans that don't like Rodri. There are, there are plenty of fans who still don't like Gundogan in the team and 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 may never take to him in a city shirt. Um, it, uh, what more can he do? Because like I feel like this last few weeks is is kind of prime Gundogan, and it, it, it's the sort of performance that we that that we know he can do, and has he's, he's provided you know not just for this last few weeks, but in in the past in a city show in a city show, in the in the teams that 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 were winning titles. So what what more can he do to win the fans round?
0: I just keep doing it. Like like I say, I I hadn't really thought of my analysis of the Chelsea game as a kind of right, they're back now. This is it. I just I'd kind of feel as you know this is just how the the season's progressing and yeah it looks good. But obviously there's still a bit of doubt around City and whether they can carry this on and you know win all those you know beat United and win all those games and establish themselves at the top of the table maybe at the end of January. Um that's the doubt around City at the moment, I think, from some City fans and neutrals. Um and I just think it's carry on doing this. Not necessarily, you know, keep scoring in seventy five percent of his games, but just keep because obviously he's always been a big part of Guardiola's Plan. And you know Guardiola clearly trusts him, but the fans always haven't always done that. But if City now start winning every game and got a part of that, and he's a more of an obvious part of it because he's playing further up the pitch, you know he's making assists or he's putting the kind of David Silver pre-assists, you know that kind of thing, or obviously scoring the goals. I think that's how he'll kind of start to to change people's mind because yeah, if you really didn't like him, you could argue that it's only a few games and it was only Newcastle, it was only West Brom. It was only Southampton and Chelsea. Are shit, you know. You could you could say that if you wanted to, um, but you've just got to do it over a period of time where you just
1: literally cannot dispute it anymore. He and drifts, suppose, he drifts into space, moment. doesn't he? Like like Silva yeah. used to.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like as we've as we've said, God, exhaustively on this podcast, I've said a lot in Q and As and in articles. You know, he's the only similar midfielder to Silver in the squad in Guardiola's eyes. It doesn't mean he's as good technically as as David Silver is, and that there's no crime in that. Um, and it's just the, the style of 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 player that he is. Like you say, he drifts into space the way he uses the ball. He gets it and he gives it. He gave an interview um, to City at the weekend um, saying, somebody once told me that I'm a player that allows other people to shine. And that's exactly it. Like David Silver would always shine. But, you know, when we did the podcast last year with, with Jack Pitbrook and myself, and we we're trying to explain why he was so good, and there was always that thing of... You know, City haven't looked the same without David Silver, regardless of what the manager, who who the manager is in charge, and it was that kind of thing. And that's what Gundogan is at his best. um But like I say, for various reasons, you know, not quite good as Silver, fair enough. Um, not quite good as De Bruyne, fair enough. um Those are two like phenomenal world class players. But um Gundogan in another team, like in a top European team, if it was a Bayern Munich or Barcelona or Real Madrid or something. It, i think it'd be much more suited on a week-to-week basis but in the style of the games i think he'd look much better in well i think it'd look good in the champions league as well as he has done with city and yeah he, he he's very similar to to silver and he can help get city moving over the next month as he has done over the last god it's only been two or three weeks hasn't it it feels like it feels like longer than
1: that yeah just keep and he had an awful start to the season and, because of covid as well so yeah
0: exactly and it's just it's just keep doing what you're doing and make you know, people won't be able to make the argument anymore that oh, well, it's only you know it's only a handful of games, or the opposition haven't been very good, or whatever. That, that's the only way because he's been doing it for a long time, and when he hasn't been doing it, it's kind of been a bit hamstrung by the, the role he's been made to play. So, yeah. yeah, interesting times for him.
1: Let's talk about Bernardo Silva to finish uh, because he, for eighteen months or so, undoubtedly has been a shadow of his former self. Um, what about now, though?
0: Yeah, well, a weird one with with Bernardo, anyway, because I'm the same as anybody else in that I wouldn't say that last season or this season so far he's been as good as he was in 2018-19. But the mad thing was, I looked at the stats halfway through last season. It was mid January when City beat Arsenal just before Arteta left, and the stats were about the same in terms of his output, you know, goals and chances created, and just just loads of loads of little little metrics like that that I've I've written about recently. Um, And I looked again earlier in the season, maybe after after the Sheffield United game. And his, yeah, over the whole of last season, his numbers were really not that bad. And in some cases, better than they were the season before. Um, I think it's just one of those things where in football, one part of it is, you know, stats don't tell the full picture. And on the other hand, you know, it's about feeling a lot of the time. And everyone goes back to that Liverpool game and the energy and the effort. And obviously the goal against United where he was on the right and he dribbled inside and scored at De Gea's near post, which was a very big win to to win the title. It, it was those kind of moments and moments and effort and energy stand out more to most football fans, myself included, than, I don't know.
1: The, the all-round bigger picture of the game, yeah.
0: Numbers or whatever. I, I think I think that's kind of a, a fair conclusion to draw. Um, so yeah, despite the fact that maybe he didn't drop off as much as we saw with our eyes. Um, he hasn't looked like that kind of player. and I, I still don't think he does. I still don't think he is the same type of player that he was in 2018-19. Or he hasn't been rekindling those performances to the same extent. But again, maybe I'm holding him to that Liverpool standard, which was an incredible performance from everyone. And, you know, he that was the most... Was that the most anybody had ever run? In yeah, the Premier he he or... broke the
1: Premier League record for distance run because I, exactly. I I I, I, re- I remember thinking at the time I think De Bruyne was on the bench because he was just coming back from injury. Yes. I remember I remember thinking at the time that uh, that it might have just been that Guardiola had said to him, "Look, just give us an hour, full pelt, give us an hour." Then then Kev's coming on, and then the hour comes up and, De, and uh, Bernardo looks at the bench knackered and just goes, "No, t- ten more minutes, just ten more mm-hmm. minutes of that," and then five more minutes, and they just kept kept it going, and so he ended up just doing more distance than anyone's ever done before. Um, he it's an interesting one with, with him and the team because I guess it's probably a bit of both. But how much of, of City's mini-revival in performances in the last few weeks have been down to him playing better? And how much yeah, yeah. of him playing better is also kind of down to... Uh, 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 is because of City's performances, if that makes sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, like where I was kind of going with that was he's, I don't think he's kind of stood out to that 2018-19 level. But yeah, definitely, in, in some recent games... Um, he has, he has been better, he's kind of getting back towards that. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a bit like the Gundogan thing. Like, I'm is it just because he's doing better things? You know, was he playing badly before? Was he out of form, out of confidence? And has that come back, or is he being used in better positions? And again, like the performance at United was clearly by design meant to be kind of circumspect and defensive and stodgy and dour and not give up any chances. So a lot of players aren't going to thrive in that. You know, Gundogan didn't play, so it's not it's not an example of that. But there was a lot of players in that game, other than the forwards obviously who kind of missed the chances. But even so, like Sterling in that game, he wasn't great. But you're not going to have too many opportunities to be great if if the design is to to stay compact and just kind of run around and and not give the ball away. Um, and definitely, I think the example to counteract that is the is the the Chelsea game, because he played in that number eight position where he, he shone so well before. And that, that, I mean, talking about Gundogan's best position, I think that is Bernardo's best position, that advanced role in midfield, rather than on the wing. I think he's good at both, but that's probably his best position. And I think that's probably the most convincing argument, that now if I'm right, the City have kind of found this way to be defensively solid, but also attack well, which is just basically what they did when they won trophies. Um, it's going to suit Bernardo better. It's not He's not just going to have to, you know, just run around like like he did against Sheffield United. The reason I mentioned that Sheffield United game was because he played deep in midfield next to Rodri, but he kind of had to do that Gundogan role, which is kind of hidden Gundogan's talent as well, because Gundogan, as I've mentioned before, when he plays deep, he just kind like, of get the ball and gives it, which you're not going to get any fantasy football points for that. You're not going to get a match of the day for that. You help t- kind of give the team rhythm a bit, but if every, you know if, if the rhythm, in Guardiola mentioned tempo after the Chelsea game, but if the rhythm and the tempo isn't there overall, and they're not in with that intensity and that desire to get men forward, like they have been recently, then... You just basically asked to sit at the back of midfield and play five-yard passes, which isn't good for Gundogan, who's good at that. And it wasn't good for Bernardo, who had to kind of just reduced Gundogan role against Sheffield United. And I was like, well, this might be a way to get Bernardo back in the team, but it doesn't really play to his strengths. But it looks like now Guardiola's like, OK, yeah, forget that. We'll just play him further forward. We'll we'll find a way to get that midfield boxed off, the back of midfield. And we'll let Gundogan, we'll let Bernardo get forward and... and do better at what they can do, and I think that's that's the long and the short of it. Basically, the, yeah. again, like Gundogan, he's he's in a he's in a position that suits him, and he's in a team that's trying to actually create chances. Like the finishing was bad on Sunday, but you could see in terms of the intention of what Guardiola was trying to do and what the team were trying to do, they were creating those chances. And I'm hoping on Monday night football for Sky Sports viewers in the UK, um, because it's a big game and probably one of the better Games over the weekend. I'm hoping there's going to be an analysis of how every time you looked, it seemed like City just played one ball, and it was like a four on four with the defense. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that will suit Bernardo Silva. It will suit everyone in that team. And yeah, yeah that's what that's what they're doing now.
1: Well, here's here's the wild card then for both of Bernardo and uh, Gundogan's improvements in the last few weeks. How much of it is down to uh, to Cancelo?
0: Um. Well, yeah. Um. He's been great. I love that. I love that. Um, well, the, the wild card thing is obviously Cancelo, but the wild card to the wild card is what does it mean for Carl Walker? Because Walker is obviously he was. I maintain he was City's best player at the start of the season. Um, we've talked about how you know if he wasn't in the team, they'd really miss his pace, especially on on the the, the recoveries. Um, but the way Cancelo slotted in a right back, and he's kind of gone forward into that number eight role when City are attacking. And he, which he did again against Chelsea. That's, um, you know, that's been huge for...
1: It's cute, isn't it? It's very, very cute.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's it's obviously been hard for teams to put up and it's helped them. Get, you know, create more chances again while still boxing off the defence part, you know, because they'll have three centre-backs back there and Rodri as well. They've still got the cover in the middle of the pitch. And, you know, Gundogan can hang back as he did against West Brom from time to time as well to help that balance when Cancelo goes up or sometimes they can all go up. Like, they seem to have found this fluidity and, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much, you know, it's a bit chicken and egg. You know, is, is the fact that Gundogan and Bernardo and De Bruyne have got more space in midfield and more time in midfield, does that help Cancelo? Or, you know, is the fact that Cancelo's up there helping them. I think it's just the fact, again, it's the overall approach of the team. and It's Guardiola saying, look, lads, we haven't done enough to create chances. This is how we're going to do it. And, it. and it suits them all. And, you know, going forward suits Cancelo better than it does going backwards, which was, okay, when Walker's back, maybe we'll see him at, at left-back. And he's done a good job at left-back. He's created a lot of chances. But this is what I mean about Walker coming back now. You know, they, they look better with Cancelo at right-back and and him going forward. And that isn't something that Walker could do in the same way. I'm sure they could get him to go forward and and cause problems in a different way. But the way that Cancelo's done it, um, and the way he plays those through balls, that's not something any other defender in the city team can do. So I think yeah. he can't he needs to stay in the team.
1: What, what was it you said recently? Different players for different needs?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. talking again, <laughs> it's one of the, it's one of those good problems to have, like it's the the cliched managerial headache. But yeah. when it comes to Carl Walker, that will be very difficult to leave him out. Um, but you would like to think, if Guardiola's true to his message that you know that, that was mainly applicable to Laporte and Stones, then it would be difficult to leave Cancelo out. the The, the worry would be if he tries to keep everyone happy or, or them too happy by putting Cancelo at left back and putting Walker in. It doesn't work in the same way. But at the end of the day, Walker spent most of his time in that you know deep lying position anyway, hanging back. And if they can still get Cancelo into those areas. Which they were kind of toying with even earlier in the season. Then you know it, it could still work. But yeah, Cancelo, um, he's he's been really good, and it's made me think actually that this this Man City trait of a lot of their players: Bernardo, Sane, uh, who else? Uh, Cancelo now, obviously, maybe Rodri to a lesser extent. All doing much better. Mares as well, doing much better in their second season. Uh, why, don't they, why, why don't they just sign these players a year earlier? I would <laughs> told everything. I, if, I was, if I was Chiki McGeeristan, I would simply buy these players. A,
1: <laughs> a bit earlier than normal. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Uh, well, that brings us to an end for uh, this week's White Always Us. I'm David Mooney. Thanks as ever to Sam Lee.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot, mate. And Happy New Year to everyone.
1: Uh, if you sign up to The Athletic now, you can get 30% off using the code MANCITYPOD.